The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. And I mean it, and I'm always right. The buzz today, you look marvelous, darling. I think I'm channeling Billy Crystal. Oh, my goodness. Let's talk serious here. This is a wake-up call for the fashion industry, for the retail industry. Forget your long-time focus on seasonality. It is time to pay close attention to the digital age. We know you know what that is. And the fashion consumer. Who, you're asking? Well, they are tech-savvy. They are influenced by social media. They are making social media part of the conversation. And they're listening and watching and responding. And they want trend availability right now, this minute. They want it. They want you to make it available. But perhaps even more critical, you're facing in your industry blurred lines among traditional definitions of what is a fashion retailer, what is a manufacturer, and what is a wholesaler. It may all be blending together, and the question on the table is how will you survive? Well, we have some news for you. Either you have to transform your business models and your digital infrastructure, or risk being banished, oh no, to the clearance rack, and you all know what that is. No, no, not that. We have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure this all out, give you some great insights and advice, their professional points of view, their observations on where the industry is and where it's going. Let me just tell you who's on the show today. I'll be joined by Jeff Goldberg, a managing director in Accenture's Retail North America business and a member of the Accenture Global Retail Leadership Team. With him on the panel is Matt Mark. If you want to look him up, M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E, founder of M2, capital M, the number two collaborative, and he'll explain that later. And rounding out the panel is Matt Lakaitis. He is a managing director of SAP's retail industry practice in the U.S. Really stellar panel. They all know what they're talking about. So let me circle back around the table to Mr. Jeff Goldberg. And Jeff sent me a wonderful quote from Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams, if you're scratching your head, who was that? Well, he was an American photographer and environmentalist whose black and white landscape photos of the American West, particularly Yosemite National Park, have been widely reproduced on so many calendars and posters and books. He founded a photography group known as Group F-64. That's a technical term. Those of you who do photography will know. Interesting side note, he was in 
injured as a very young boy in an afterquake three hours after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and never had his nose fixed. Very interesting. He was hyperactive. He was prone to hypochondria. He didn't have a lot of friends, but boy, did he ever learn to take pictures. His family lived near the Golden Gate Bridge, and it provided him with many opportunities to become a real visionary through the camera lens later on. Here is the quote Jeff has selected from Ansel Adams. Quote, there is nothing worse than a sharp image of a fuzzy concept. Wow, what a great quote. Jeff Goldberg, how are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You're calling all the way from India today, rumor has it. What time of the day is it there? It's about, I don't think it's about 1030 at night. Well, you are a trooper. We really appreciate it. So tell me, are you a big fan of Ansel Adams? I remember many of his pictures years ago. They're just gorgeous, black and white, sharp landscapes and more, large format, high resolution. He was a real champion. How did you find this quote, Jeff? It's an amazing quote. Talk to me. Oh, I am a fan of Ansel Adams and actually had a chance this summer to walk in his footsteps with um people that work for his grandson that still run the Ansel Adams Gallery out at uh, um, Yosemite. I am a, a very avid photographer and actually had a chance uh, while here in India to do a street fashion shoot uh, this weekend. So I'm very, mm. uh, very, very passionate about photography, very familiar with Ansel Adams and thought that was a very appropriate quote for the discussion we're going to have tonight. It certainly is. And I want you to tell me, we're talking about fashion. We're talking about retail. Fuzzy concept. I just mentioned blurring lines. I won't use the Robin Thicke song, Blurred Lines, because we don't want to go there, but at least the adult version. Uh, but Ansel Adams, the idea of a fuzzy concept. Am I right on target, Jeff, that the lines are blurring between the retailer, the manufacturer, and the wholesaler? Can you just give us a tiny bit of your point of view on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the lines are absolutely blurring, or some might say battle lines are forming, um, as fashion brands look to become much, much closer um, to the direct to their customers and going direct, um, and really taking a much tighter, you know, tighter grip on the reins to control their brand image. Uh, with their, and sometimes it can be with their long-time retail partners. So you're absolutely right. Thank you very much. I, I love the quote. I couldn't think of a – if I look at Ansel Adams, the lore, I call it, of Ansel Adams, and thinking it was mostly about photography, the sharp image of a fuzzy concept couldn't be more perfect. Jeff, bravo on the quote, and welcome to the show, and thanks for staying up late to join us. We really appreciate it. And now let me turn to our second panelist, Matt Marcotte, founder of M2 Collaborative. Matt has sent me a quote from Peter Kestenbaum. I'll spell that K O E. S-T-E-N-B-A-U-M. He's a classically trained philosopher who holds degrees in philosophy, physics, and theology from Stanford, Harvard, and my alma mater, Boston University. Peter Kestenbaum has spent half a century pondering the questions that quote-unquote give most of us headaches. Why is there being instead of nothing? What is the ultimate explanation of the universe? And what does it mean to be a successful human being? I'm just going to stop right there, but I will tell you that apparently he is working on his new book. This is Kestenbaum. Uh, let's see. New book is called Diamond Reverse Engineering, and we'll just have to wait for that one to come out. He is still alive and well and with us. And now here's the quote Matt has selected. The challenges of leadership are emotional and conversational, not rational and tactical. That's another wow quote. Matt Marcotte, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Bonnie. How are you? 
I'm well, thank you. I love the quote where we're batting two for two here, you and, and Jeff Goldberg. I can't wait to get to, to Matt. Matt uh, Lakaitis's quote is equally good, but we'll save that for a surprise. So tell me, Peter Kestenbaum, I had to look him up. Are you a follower of his? Do you subscribe to his philosophy of what did he call a practical philosophy, education, psychology, and psychiatry? Tell me a little more. Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm not necessarily a follower of his per se, but I am a huge information junkie, and um, HBR is something that I've been reading for, I feel like, decades, and it was an article that he had written probably like 10 or 12 years ago where I found this quote. So tell me about the quote, challenges of leadership. I want to focus this. I want to, if you'll excuse me for going back to the Ansel Adams, I'm going to use a little, a little bad metaphor here. Let's focus the lens of Mr. Kestenbaum on the area of fashion and retail. Emotional and conversational, not rational and technical. tactical. Doesn't that describe fashion to us, Matt? Um, it does and it doesn't. I think what's interesting, especially given the topic we have today around how the world is changing, especially around the consumer you know, management is tactical and leadership should be transformational. And, and that's really about making connections with people at the emotional level first. And so since we're talking about responding to and connecting with customers, it's very relevant, I think, for brands and companies to really think about how they understand their customer at an emotional level so that they can mm-hmm. actually deliver those transformational products and experiences in any capacity. So, I mean, I think the tactical has to go by the wayside now for us to be able to think more about leadership and transformation as an organization, as an industry. Very well put. You got me on that one. So I think we could change the quote to be the challenges of leadership today in the digital era of the fashion industry are connecting with your customer on an emotional and conversation level, but not abandoning the rational, strategic, and tactical on the operations and production side. Did I get that right, Matt? Yeah, I think that's great. In fact, we can put your name at the end of that. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. Nobody <laughs> quotes me. It's okay. <laughs> I just wrote Thank it down, you. So I'll be doing it. Oh, dear. I'm in trouble now. Thank you. Thank you also for a great quote. And now let's bring on our third panelist waiting patiently. It's Matt Lakaitis. I'm going to spell his name in case anybody wants to look him up. L-A-U-K-A-I-T-I-S, Managing Director of SAP's Retail Industry Practice in the U.S. And Matt L., we'll call him, has sent a quote from Pete Carroll, the Seattle Seahawks coach, who is a young fellow. He was born in 1951. I get to say he's young. American football coach who's the head coach and executive VP of the Seattle Seahawks of the NFL, former head coach of the New York Jets, yay, New York, New England Patriots, and the USC Trojans of USC, University of Southern California. Here are a couple of pieces of factoids about Pete Carroll. He's one of only three football coaches who have won both a Super Bowl and a college football national championship. And according to Wikipedia, if they're accurate, he is now 64 years and 342 days old. That makes him the oldest head coach currently working in the NFL. And here is, yeah, Eventually, I'll get to it. Don't worry, Matt. Here's the quote Matt has selected from Pete Carroll. Something good is just about to happen. I love it. I'm not sure, but I'm waiting. It's because we have Matt on the show. Matt Lakaitis, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. Tell me something. Are you a follower, a fan of Mr. Pete Carroll, who was the oldest oldest working head coach in the NFL? Or, and where did you find the quote? Well, I found the quote uh, in learning a little bit more about him, and I, I am a fan. I would describe myself as a recent convert. I wasn't the biggest fan of his when he was at USC, but uh, being exposed to his philosophy and the way that he does things has t- turned me into a fan up here in Seattle. It's just been amazing, the transformative effect that he's had. And the quote is something that really uh, connected with me. 
Thank you very much. So let's turn it on again. Let's focus that lens on the fashion retail industry. Something good is just about to happen. We normally do our predictions at the very end of the show, Matt. call it the crystal ball predictions round. But I'm going to ask you, what is good about to happen in the industry? Let's give a little preview. What what will you want to be talking about in this regard with the quote? Well, I think there's two two things that are directly relevant to the conversation that we've just had, even in the short time we've been together. Uh, the first is it does connect, and one of the reasons I've selected this quote is because of the emotional aspect of it. So speaking to Matt M's quote uh, and connecting to the emotional aspect of leadership, I think it's really important to keep people focused on what they can control and that good things can happen despite all the changes and the level of uh, transformation that people are trying to undertake. So if you take a look at the retail and fashion industry in the macro level, mm-hmm. there's so much going on. It's easy for our customers to get overwhelmed. You know, how do I respond to this competitive pressure? How do I respond to that competitive pressure? I think that this quote speaks to the power of focusing an individual on the things that are directly under her or his control, and that if they keep focusing on those efforts and doing all the right things, something good is going to come of that. So it's a it's a quote very much on staying in the moment and being receptive to continuing things on a day-to-day basis and something good will happen. And there's lots of great things happening in the retail and fashion industry as we'll talk through. Thank you very much. It makes me think of on one of our shows, I think it was, uh, we have 23 radio series under the banner of Game Changers, Matt, and I think on the one that's called Social Selling with Game Changers, or maybe it was Think Big, Work Small about small enterprises, uh, entrepreneurs, and SMEs, we had a gentleman, his name escapes me, forgive me, who... um, was making funny sayings about celebrities with images of the celebrities on T-shirts. And he took this idea online and instantly, instantly, he created a mega business all selling online. I can't remember the name. I've Googled him and I'm just not coming up, but maybe I will during the break. Uh, and he, he didn't even realize that he was going to be that popular. But social and conversation and emotional and something good is just about to happen and surprise, surprise somebody. Sometimes it really does. So Thank you very much, Matt. I'll really appreciate that. And now I'm going to circle back to Jeff Goldberg, who is now approaching, I think, 11 p.m. in India. Jeff, uh, I hope you've got caffeine somewhere in your in your near future to stay awake for us, and we do appreciate it. So, Jeff, this is the segment of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. We want to know a little bit about, first, why are you in India, and what are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink, let's just say, tomorrow? Jeff Goldberg, talk to me. All right. Well, two things. I'm in India for a couple of reasons. One, I'm actually um, I'm here with a client. And uh, while I'm here, I also take time to catch up with all the activities happening locally, um, both with my company as well as some of our uh, some of our partners. So I spend a few days going around um, hearing what's new and what's, you know, what's top of mind for them. And so uh, what's in my cup at the moment? Water. But uh, earlier today, um, one of my favorite things to drink when I'm here is masala chai tea. And uh, uh, I may overindulge a bit with, uh, with the chai, but it's, uh, it's fantastic, and I can't get enough of it when I'm here. Glad to hear that. And do you put anything in that chai tea? Do you doctor it up a little bit, milk or sugar or any, any other form of, of uh, uh, shall we say, flavor enhancement? Yeah. You're it's, a purist? It's all part of the experience. You know, the, the spices, the milk, it all kind of boiled together, no filter. Um, it's just absolutely delicious. So I, I take it just the way they make it. I don't think I can reproduce it. And so I, I do kind of crave the taste once I get my, once I'm starting to get closer to India. 
it's, uh, it's a fantastic concoction. Very cool. Thank you very much. Nice to know. And Matt Marcotte, where are you calling from? And may I ask you what's in your cup today or what will be later? <laughs> that could be a very dangerous question. Um, I'm calling from uh, Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts right now. Yes. Where it's lovely. Um, and what's in my cup? Well, kind of like Jeff, currently water, but the, the drink of choice for me morning and afternoon is actually a chocolate banana peanut butter protein shake. OMG, be still my heart. I stopped at chocolate, then I got to banana, and it got even better. What else is in it? Protein. And peanut butter. Oh, you're killing me here. So do you make it, or do you buy it already? Well, I started uh, off, actually, there's a gym, uh, like a CrossFit gym, on my way from my apartment to my office, and I started going there because I have a juice bar attached to it. And after about a week or so, when I got sick of them asking me if I'd been to 6.30 a.m. class, which I've never probably taken a class there, I finally told them, I think we both know I don't work out here. I just come for the drinks. So I got hooked on it after that, and now I make it for myself. Oh, you are quite charming. (laughs) I don't work out here. I just come for the drinks. I like that. I like that a lot. Very insightful. Matt, quickly, give us the elevator speech one minute. What is M2 Collaborative, please? Oh, sure. The one-minute elevator speech is essentially this idea of unleashing human potential through transformational experiences, which sounds like a lot of words, but it's the idea of helping people or companies to really unlock the potential through really understanding at the core DNA of who they are as a brand and how that translates into the customer and employee experience that they should be giving to create that culture which really want for participation and loyalty. Thank you very much. Good to know. And Mr. Matt Lakaitis, where are you calling from? And what would you like to share with us that you're drinking or plan to drink, Matt? I am calling from Seattle, Washington. And uh, mm-hmm. typically for somebody from Seattle, I've got coffee in my cup. But we're a little bit of uh, purists out here, so I have a very specific brand of coffee. I'm drinking the Seattle, Seattle's Best version, uh, which is now owned by Starbucks. It's just a great, uh, it's a great roast, and it's a lot of fun. And I also... It's what's on my cup, which is also interesting. It's a, a mug with a picture of my kids when they were about uh, four and six years old that one of my neighbors took. It's one of my favorite pictures of them. And anytime I'm home, which is not very often as I travel, I always drink out of this cup just to remember how blessed we are to have the opportunity to spend time with family. But it's coffee, Seattle's best coffee, and I'm uh, on about my fourth cup this morning, so I'm ready to go. Wow. Fourth cup. Okay. I think we need to send a little of that caffeine over to Jeff Goldberg in India, who's a a real champ for joining us. Guess what? I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and all I drink, all they allow me to drink on radio show days is caffeine-free water. Yes, I know. I'm probably an oxymoron in there somewhere. It's cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. I have a green straw, and the green straw is because the green light is on for sunshine here. Matt M., you're in Boston. I'm on Long Island on the North Shore, and it's gorgeous today. Blue sky, clear. It's wonderful. But the green of course, is for profitability in retail. And that's, I think, the bottom line we're talking about. If our our audience hasn't guessed yet, we're talking today about digital style reinventing the fashion business model. We're talking about the blending and blurring of retailers and manufacturers and wholesalers. We're talking about the emotional conversation and conversation, or we put them together, with your customers along with the smart digital way to do business and keep that supply chain humming so those trends can find their way to the customer right this second when they want them. We have a lot more to talk about, and I have a shout-out to SAP's 
Kelly Cockshaw, who put together this wonderful panel. Great guest, Kelly. Good prep here. And I'm very happy to be speaking to them. So I'll just go into the break by saying, you look marvelous, darling. You want to stick around and find out what's going on in the fashion industry, retail in particular. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael, out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital Industries Changing the Game. Welcome back. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game. We have a great panel today talking with Jeff Goldberg at Accenture, Matt Marcotte at M2 Collaborative, and Matt Lakaitis at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and our topic is Digital Style, Reinventing the Fashion Business Model. Jeff Goldberg and I had a little chance to confer, confer on the break, and we looked at some notes he sent me before the show, and here's where we're going to start the roundtable. Jeff says, in order for a retail organization to support the changes in consumer behavior and new retail channels, put those two together, very powerful thought, it is absolutely necessary for the organization to have a strong digital core. Jeff Goldberg, why don't you take two minutes and tell us what this is all about. You have to, Bonnie. I mean, if you, you know, it, it's important as we start to think about worlds converging. We already talked a little bit converging. Um, when you think about that, and sometimes companies trade under different names, fees, it can get very confusing. And over time, have different labels for the same product, have slightly different ways of talking to their customers has slightly different ways of identifying those customers. And as we move to this digital age, as you mentioned, where people want to have a close, emotional, consistent communication between the retailer and their customers, can't support that kind of infrastructure. It needs to be much more consistent. So I call that the digital core. What what I mean by that is consistent, harmonized information across your company, consistent product numbering across these product and customers easily understood and shared across the enterprise. And most importantly, having that connected in a way that's easy to communicate and collaborate with customers, suppliers, and ever more important, 
your associate. So having all those things together in one, in one way, working together, is really what it's going to take as we enter the next era of retail. Thank you very much. Good setup here. I want to get Matt Marcotte in on this. Matt, why don't you talk about your interpretation, agree or disagree, and expand what Jeff Goldberg started. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I, mean, I, I couldn't agree more with what Jeff said, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I think uh, a couple of things. You know, being in the industry for as long as I've been, I, there's a, a lot of conversation around this idea of one truth and how do you find mm-hmm. that one truth, and whether that's around pricing or styles or um, reporting or data, whatever it might be. I think it's critically important, but I think even more so, I think where we have been and where a lot of companies still are is this idea of 80% collection of data, which only leaves 20% to analyze and do something with it. And the more we can actually get one truth and systems and processes and data that's simple that tells a story, then people have more time to actually work on analyzing to come up with better ideas. So this is a, a critical, critical baseline for companies to figure out how to get. You think they're close? Do you think they get this? And, Matt, I'll, I'll ask you this question. I'll ask everybody when we go back around the table. Is this breaking news, what we're talking about? Is this a news flash for the retail industry, or are they already on board and they say, ah, the time has come, we have to change? What do you think? Are you asking me or Matt Lakaitis? I'm asking Matt Marcotte. I'm still with you. Oh, Thank sorry. you. sorry. There's too many Matts on this call, right? Um, you know, I, I think I think <laughs> some companies – get it, meaning they get it and they put their money where their mouth is. I think people Mm -hmm. understand it. I think infrastructure investments and the really understanding of what the kind of ROI is on doing these investments, I think that is uh, of varying uh, degrees depending on where you are and what company you're in. Thank you very much. Now it's time for Matt. I will use full last name so I'm clear. Matt Lakaitis, love to have you talk about the statement that Jeff Goldberg introduced a moment ago and that Matt Marcotte commented on. Go ahead, Matt. L. Certainly. I'd also like to take this opportunity to correct something that Matt M. said, if I may, and and that is that you can never have too many mats on a call. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know something, you caught me. I should have said that. I, I was going to say Jeff Goldberg. You can now become AKA Matt G, so that we can make it a full house of mats. Yes, Matt. And going back to Ansel Adams, it would be a matte finish on the photo of the three. I have your pictures here in my notes, and it'd be a fabulous photo. So I'll be peeking at the corner. Thank you very much for that, Matt L. I think you're absolutely right. Now, talk to me about the serious stuff. Sure. So I think that I think that Matt was right on when he talked about everyone was always chasing and knew the value of getting to this one truth. Uh, but I think the challenge is now that the definition of what that one truth truly entails is what is up for debate, and what actually we're seeing is going to separate those who are going to own the future from those who are going to struggle, right? Because that definition of one truth has kind of traditionally been, hey, I've got to look at these different process areas of my business, whether it's my retail business, whether it's my wholesale business, whether I'm doing out, uh, outsourced manufacturing or cutting the cost myself. Traditionally, companies were looking to look at one truth across those silos. I think the leaders are, are seeing the vision and have done in the last five to eight years kind of a broader view of what that one truth is. And what we're seeing as the leaders that are emerging now for the foreseeable future from a retail and fashion perspective extend that one truth out so they have one view of their customer all the way through to their supply chain so they can truly unite that customer sentiment, that customer feedback on the runway, at the fashion campaign, all the way back to the supply chain so that can be much more responsive and, and deliver that experience much more quickly. 
Thank you, Matt. I'm going to circle back to Jeff Goldberg. Jeff, thoughts on what your co-panelists, your colleagues, your collaborators have said about the topic you started? What Give us your version of that one truth. What do you think? First off, I'm welcome to spend the rest of the call as Matt G. Thank if you. If we can maximize the number of Matt's on the call. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that was that was my wish and my hope, and I'm I'm even happier than I was before. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to I'm here to help, and I and I do enjoy a piece of coffee um, as, as well as Seattle's best. So I'm I'm right there with uh, other Matt. Um, you're, so you're, to build on something Matt said, I, I think your question about is this a newsflash? I mm-hmm. think part of it is a news flash because I think Matt L. hit on it that many people have had, as we've been calling here, one truth in their specific area, be it a product, a division, a region, a channel. And we've ended up orphaning product. So there's been many situations where one part of the company had inventory they could sell to a customer, but it was stuck there and couldn't get to another part of the company where a customer need went unfilled. And so trying to break down those walls, trying to really connect with what the customer is doing all the way back upstream and say, I'm not going to produce all of my um, goods preseason. I'm going to wait and maybe delay some of that manufacturer. I'm going to delay where I put it as long as possible to react to in-season change. I think those things have always been there as desires, but to move at the pace that customers expect today I think people are waking up to it. It's a different definition of what it takes to be you know, truly connected. Thank you very much, Matt G. <laughs> it's, a, it's official. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> help. Kelly's probably, Kelly's listening and she's probably saying, what happened to my panel? They're all here. They're present and accounted for. So we have Matt G, Matt M, and Matt L. And when I say Matt, they're all three going to say, yes, Bonnie, what do you want? So I like that a lot. Thank you, Jeff. You gave me the perfect segue. And thanks for asking my question about the newsflash. You gave me the perfect segue into some notes here from Matt Marcotte, Matt M. Uh, Matt, I'm going to read a couple of lines from your notes here and you'll see where I'd like to go next in the conversation. You say the fashion retail customer has evolved and I mentioned that in my opening. Customers, consumers expect the same level of service regardless of when, where or how they choose to purchase and companies need to react. Now here's where I'd like you to go. You say in your notes, the landscape of the store experience is also changing and several large retailers are scaling back to grow. That's an interesting statement. So Matt, why don't you take us into the land of the store before we focus, refocus on the digital. Let's find out what's happening with brick and mortar today. Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, I, I, we all know the, the landscape has changed. I think that's kind of just obvious. But what I think is interesting is when you're, when you're hearing companies that are, quote-unquote, scaling back to grow, I think there is a feeling that, and for some people, that brick and mortar is not as relevant as it once was and that, you know, e-commerce or the digital or mobile is going to be taking over. Now, Listen, if we get to a great place in the world, we're talking 20, 25% of all purchases coming from online or mobile, but they're all mobily influenced, right? So mm-hmm. the world now has changed into, yes, predominantly we'll still see people shopping in brick and mortar on one level. But what we used to do, and I think Matt Lakaitis talked about silos, where it used to be that e-com, mobile, wholesale, retail were all kind of competitive. Now we have to be completely complementary. And so... What you're starting to see now with this idea of the kind of the retail customer expectations is that they want to be able to have one truth again, 
of how they shop online, what they see online, what they find in stores, how we use information they give us online in stores, when they're with a sales associate, when they're being rung up, when we actually have their client ID, have, again, reciprocated back to their online information so that there's this kind of virtuous 360-degree profile of how they shop, what they like, and how we serve them better. That is where there's a huge disconnect still. The word omni-channel, the buzzword of, what, two, three years ago, this is where companies use the term, but they don't actually set their infrastructure and their systems to truly be frictionless and seamless to the consumer. What's it going to take? Just quickly before I move on to the other two mats on the panel, yeah, what's it going to take I, for I, them I to see that? I think what's and what's actually happening now, what is happening is you're going to see a culling of the herd. You're going to see brands that are going to actually disappear. I mean, the, 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 the industry is completely oversaturated, and they're oversaturated with people and companies that have very similar products. And the way people are choosing to differentiate themselves or try and get the top line stimulated is by price, by discounts. And as we know, for margins and for profitability, that doesn't work. So the companies that really understand their customers, that know how to use data to tell stories, to create personalization, customization, a relationship with that customer, those are the ones that will win. And the ones that talk to themselves but don't actually do it are the ones I think are going to be losing out. Thank you. Well, that's certainly putting some people back on that clearance rack where we, we're not sure they want to be there. It depends on how exactly. the pricing cascades downward. We know there are retailers who, uh, it used to be Sims. Anybody remember Cy Sims? Yeah. The major, yeah, the discounter. And you would go, if you knew the system, you'd check the price tag and you'd see when the last reduction was and you knew when the next one was coming if the garment was still on the rack at the following week. Uh, but I digress. Matt L., love to have you comment on these interesting statements from Matt Marcotte about Omnichannel, do they get it or don't they? Talk to me, Matt L., please. Yeah, I think that's a really good case in point to illustrate what's actually happening in the industry and the level of upheaval uh, and opportunity it presents, right? So if you take a look at just how people gravitated towards the strategic importance of Omnichannel over the years, one of the things that many retailers struggled with was just um, optimizing and abstracting their interdivisional clashes, right? So while it's very easy from a customer perspective to have a strategy that says you can buy online, return anywhere, or buy online, pick up in store, mm-hmm. returning across different channels actually created a whole bunch of compensation issues that the industry struggled mm-hmm. with uh, at the very early phases of rolling it out, right? Because how do, you, how do you credit a store manager if someone else comes in with a return that was originally bought online? All the complexities behind that in terms of comp as it relates down to all those emotional conversations that end up with uh, from a person-to-person and manager and leader perspective. So that's just one example. And I think when we talk about these issues, what we're really seeing is what I call a sprint to relevance, right? Because customers want to make sure that the brands they choose to shop with understand who they are, and the brands need to make sure that they're extremely relevant to that customer in the moment that that customer is making a decision or thinking about making a purchase or getting closer and closer aligned with that brand. So what we're seeing is companies are becoming much more nimble and much faster at breaking down organizational issues that are holding them back from delivering that truly relevant, inspired customer experience. And that extends into the store as well as, you know, online. So when you look at somebody who's scaling back to grow, what that really means is they're taking a good hard look at all of their assets and their ability to make investments to support that unique vision of that customer of one so they can make their entire organization that much more responsive to that customer demand. Because it's only, in this world, it's a very, very fleeting equation, and they can have that equation correct. They could be on trend really quickly, and they can be off trend just as fast. 
Thank you very much. Jeff Goldberg, I think it's your turn. As in Matt G, a.k.a. Matt G, talk to me. I'm going to adopt it as my stage name. Uh, better like <laughs> register the next time I'm not speaking. Um, I would go a slightly different direction. Uh, hmm. I think a lot, of people, a lot of retailers and fashion companies still think about the product first. They, they may do some, you know, significant customer research and those things, but at the end of the day, inside the company, most of the processes are geared around the product. And omnichannel has been how you sell the product. I think we're starting to see a change. Um, you know, as more nimble and digitally native companies are coming to the market, they're thinking more about the customer mission and how do I solve that mission? Right. And how do I think about what the customer really wants and present myself both online and in the store in a way that attracts that mission? And it could be different missions at different times of the day for, for the same customer. But that, mm-hmm. that thinking is really what's going to change merchandising and really get into sort of a different definition of omni-channel when we start to get away from just which products, what's the price, how do I ship it, to really thinking about how do I solve a need for that point in time for that customer which really starts with understanding them a lot better than most people do today, which is why we see the rise of the data scientist inside of a retailer. And in the age-old, you know, how much art versus science, I think we're seeing we're entering an era where the science side of the equation is rapidly growing in, uh, in importance. Thank you very much. Matt Marcotte, you started this. I want to go back to you. Yeah, around no, the I, table. I want to just touch on... Yep. something that Matt and something that Matt G and Matt L that they mm-hmm. said. And I, I think what I, when I was talking about omni-channel specifically, um, what, I, what concerns me in the industry is that we hear buzzwords, and every year there's a new one. And companies rally around the buzzword, but they don't really understand the work that's required to actually really be that buzzword. So what's interesting is now the buzzword is customer experience. Mm-hmm. And so everyone keeps talking about the customer, but I think, you know, to Matt L's um, comment about things like compensation and all these different uh, barriers to actually being able to do some of the things like take returns in stores or have e-commerce, have, tw- you know, 24-hour shipping, which obviously is a more expensive sh- uh, freight for them. All these things are the internal turf wars should not influence or affect the external customer experience. And so cust- companies have to be at the core, regardless of what year it is, what buzzword, they have to become customer-obsessed. And I, I don't want to make that a buzzword either, but I think if we're, if we're serving the master of P&Ls and silos, mm-hmm. you can never be customer-focused and customer-centric. If we're actually saying that we're going to be around customers up until a certain point or a certain margin or a certain cost, then we have to be realistic and honest with ourselves as a company or companies and actually know what experience we can deliver. But... I think they're both, uh, what they're saying is exactly the same, I think, as far as we've got to really make sure that as a company we understand what it is we're trying to solve for and then how do we organize our entire infrastructure and processes to be able to deliver that at the highest level. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, before I go to Matt Lakaitis's 
talking statements. I have a couple of points here that are very interesting, Matt. I don't think we've touched on them yet. I just want to share my experience. My experience is that retailers are ignoring the brick and mortar, those who still have it left. They're ignoring the attitude of their employees. They're ignoring the ability to serve the customer at the point of sale and answer a question. Quick case in point, I now write and produce some original plays. I do them through my my cable TV show. I needed some masquerade masks for the next play I'm producing in a couple of weeks. I went to a local big chain party store and I checked and the masks I needed weren't there. I finally found a salesperson, asked her where are the green and the blue and the purple and the red. And she said, oh, didn't you know last week was col- two months ago was color wars in the local camps on Long Island. They bought out all of our masks. And of course, I said, well, gee, when are you getting more in? And the answer was, I don't know. So I went to the cash register where an employee was yawning and doing something. And I said, excuse me, when are you getting? She said, oh, you'll have to call Tuesday or Wednesday and see what we got in. We get a shipment every Tuesday, but we never know what's coming in. Nobody had a tap on the industry in inventory. Nobody knew whether they had ordered the mask. Nobody really cared at all. So what I ended up doing was I waited four days, five days, and I went back to the store. The boxes of Halloween merchandise were piled sky high, ceiling high, like a warehouse. I couldn't read the labels to see whether there were masks in them. I asked them again, are you getting more masks? And they said, we don't know. We didn't open the boxes yet. Nobody cared. So what did I do? Here's here's the kicker. I'm not bad-mouthing them. I went online to a non-U.S. retailer in the masquerade mask business i ordered the most gorgeous mask something that this retailer didn't even carry they are beautiful they were shipped to me by amazon prime free shipping within 48 hours i got a box of 15 masks that are unbelievably beautiful and i was delighted so there so did i prove any points here matt lakaitis is you're up on the next i'm going to go to your points any comments on how retail and i I actually went in a store the other day where one of the the clerks the tellers or checker at the cash register said to somebody god i can't wait till my shift is over Right in front of me, as I'm waiting, and I want to say to myself, "Who is minding the store? Who is training these people? They are part of the brand. They're part of the retail experience. They're supposed to be customer focused. They don't give a you know what." Matt Lakaitis, any any comments on that? Is this a common experience? I, I think it is. And just for the record, I'm on my fifth cup of coffee now, so it's uh, <laughs> all good. I don't need caffeine, dear. I don't need <laughs> caffeine. So talk to me. Go ahead. It's- that, that's the perfect topic to have some amped up this discussion on it, right? Because you're speaking to two very, very important aspects of the great opportunities that exist within retail and fashion right now. Thank you. That is one. That's a self-correcting problem, right? Because that organization will likely not be in business much longer, right? Mm-hmm. Just because of the fact that they, ha- they have that customer experience. And two, what I think is most interesting is there's probably a huge gap between the CEO and the board's level of understanding and and strategy or what they believe their customer experience is, they probably mm-hmm. have a mission statement somewhere that's really fancy, fancy print hanging all <laughs> over their headquarters that says these yep. are the five things, customer intimacy and customer experience is going to be at the top of the list. But for whatever reason, they can't get out of their own way. So there's a huge strategy gap and execution gap between what the company thinks their strategy is versus what they're capable of doing and having it roll out to the employees in, in your particular experience. 
There you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm looking to see what their missions here. Uh, the mission statement, I won't name the company, cares deeply about our communities and the children in them. We know that no celebration is complete without. Oh, so apparently they're into uh, they're into donations. Yes, I'm very, very happy for them. That didn't really do me any good, but I'm glad they have good morality and good ethics. So, Matt Lakaitis, thank you for answering my question and indulging my little side sidebar here. Let's talk about this. The retail supply must be reinvented to meet consumer trends and demands. I mentioned this in the opening. Companies no longer have 18 months to turn around. Did they ever have 18 months to go from concept to storefront? And Matt, before I ask you to answer that, you mentioned creating a brand is even easier today. Celebrities are starting their own companies. Jessica Alba with The Honest Company, Kate Hudson with The Fabletics, pop-up stores, Etsy makes it easy to create a retail company. So how do they keep up with demand if you promote something and a customer wants it the day of your press release or 24 hours later? How do you do that in retail today? Well, I think that um, certainly it is, it is easier than ever to do that, right? I think it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it used to be kind of a daunting task to get something up so you had the ability to sell something online or serve a customer and understand your customer and then connect it back to the supply chain. It still can be very complex, but what I think we're seeing is almost an evolution area level shift where it's just becoming the part of DNA, right? So these, these younger companies that are coming up and having the ability to go from concept design from the runway to the store in a day are actually very nimble. And, you know, you take a look at some of these pop-up shops. You know, you talked about some of the celebrities, but if you take a look at the world of athletics, a lot of these athletes are having their own brands, right? So they're creating their own brands. It's not uncommon yes. at the Super Bowl or the NBA championship for the athletes to be there, for them to have a pop-up shop right next to the media communications tent where they're selling their own branded athletic gear. Um, so it's more of, a, more of an evolutionary shift, and I've seen it with my own kids where they had the ability to you know, sell some things on Etsy at a very young age, right? So it's just something they're used to doing. Hey, I'm going to make something, I'm going to put it out there, and I'm going to sell. And the dynamic shift we're seeing in the industry is, yes, the industry was very much geared towards <clears throat> that very long, long sales cycle, right? So the typical pattern was the, the merchants would go. They would go somewhere to be inspired, whether it was Paris or some other part of the world. They would go see what was going to be trending. They would start influencing that into their own product designs. You know, Jeff or Matt G talked a lot about uh, the product, the product, the product. And that was a very long, comfortable sales cycle that every organization was very comfortable understanding how to, how to execute. Now you've got the, the rise of the fast fashion uh, companies like the Primarchs and the Zaras of the world. They're teaching consumers that all this is possible. So you can go from seeing something that's very, very hot on the runway at the Oscars or another award show, and the customer can go have the expectation they're going to get another version that looks similar to that or that same dress uh, or outfit that next day. So they are reinventing the supply chain. There is the opportunity to do that, and it's nothing, nothing is as it ever was before. Thank you. So we can't say plus a change, plus a la même chose, my favorite French phrase. Do you know what that means, Matt? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, you more, do. Okay. Yeah. More, more things change, the more they stay the same. It is changing, big time. Jeff Goldberg, let's circle around the table for you. We have, oh, we've got about nine minutes left, plenty of time. Jeff Goldberg, a.k.a. Matt G., what are your thoughts on all of the great information Matt L. just shared with us? Please, Jeff. It is good stuff. I mean, I would go back to some of the core discussion, not of the masquerade mask, but on the on the actual labor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the whole concept of labor also needs to 
change. So we, we've grown up in an era um, where it's about shifts that are static. You get assigned a shift. You show up. Maybe. Um, maybe you know about the product. And it's a very uncomfortable process for both the, the associate as well as the brand that you're representing. So I think we're about to see a world where we're moving to something closer to what we would call liquid labor, where as millennials come to age and really storm the workforce, it, it could be a very different equation where you have to think more about what skills do I want, when am I going to need those skills at what time, and maybe can I share people across different stores in my own enterprise or in some cases across stores at non-competing enterprises and really get to a place where you do have brand specialists that are passionate about what they're doing, want to be there, easy for them to understand and make changes for when they have to be there, and easy for them to understand how to get new information about the products they're going to represent on their own schedules rather than having to Mm -hmm. sit in the back room. We're on the cusp of a very different way of workforces. I think that's going to be a, it's going to bring a, a a different way that they will engage, you know, with our customers. Hopefully, will be a, a lot more and, uh, and and a good experience. Thank you very much, Matt G. And by the way, a sidebar here from me: the gentleman I was mentioning is Max Dower, D O W E R. His company is Unfortunate Portrait. He's the artist and founder of Unfortunate Portrait. He started his apparel and artwork business after his drawings caught fire, not literally, on Instagram for going the bar after completing a law degree. He, quote, decided to roll the dice, launched this company that he thought had infinite potential. With 30,000 Instagram followers, his L.A.-based company is scaling globally via online sales and retailers like Maxfield L.A., Fred Siegel, Joy in San Moritz, and Barvik Hadrim in Moscow. Interesting, interesting. So that was the person I was looking for. I apologize for that. So, uh, Jeff Goldberg, Matt G., thank you. Matt Marcotte, we need to circle around to you before we move quickly into our predictions round. So, Matt M., what do you think about what Matt L. introduced and Jeff added on to? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this idea of what is possible, as um, you know, Jeff was talking I mean, sorry, as Matt was talking about, I think is critically important. But I also think that companies have to be very clear about who the consumer is, who the employee is, what their brand promise is, and then what are the right kind of strategies to make that happen. Because not every company is Zara, and not every company wants to be Zara or needs to be Zara. It's, there's a lot of companies within the quote-unquote retail industry, and I think this idea of chasing kind of the bright, shiny objects, it's a great lesson, and it's a great kind of push that we want to make sure that we're always optimizing what we can do. But I'll use the example of, you know, the labor, the labor model, um, and I agree, there's going to be a complete evolution constantly, but, you know, the example you used about mm-hmm. the employees in a store who, quote-unquote, didn't care, we also don't, in most retailers, create careers that are retail. Ah, and uh-huh. so I think when we actually create labor models that serve the company, and I'm not saying this is what Jeff was saying, but when we create labor models, because we had this concept called on-call for years in retail where you were scheduled but not really. You had to wait around. If we maybe needed you, we called you. And if we didn't need you, we didn't call you in. And people can't plan their lives that way. And I think if we yep. want to kind of create retail to be a wonderful place to work, and we have to make sure that we balance the needs of the kind of bottom line and how we actually look at labor with also the needs of the employee. Now, 
this idea of liquid labor, I think, can be very interesting if it's also allowing um, employees to actually have more flexibility and be able to do a couple different things. When I worked for mm-hmm. Apple, we were very flexible with a lot of our employees because a lot of them were movie makers and graphic designers and songwriters or musicians. So they were able to take off periods of time to go tour, to work on stuff, and then come back. So there is a huge benefit to what this idea is. I think we just have to make sure, once again, what are we solving for? What's the model that we want? And what's our brand promise for our customer and our employee? Thank you. Very well put. And let me circle back. Matt L., I'm not going to have time to come back to you for closure on this, but I think you and I spent a good amount of time talking about it. So we're going to circle around to Matt G. in India so he can go go back and go to sleep soon. It's late there. Jeff Goldberg at Accenture, a.k.a. Matt G., I'm going to ask you to look into the crystal ball wherever you find it in whichever sky you're looking at and however much tea you're drinking and keeping awake, which we appreciate. What do you see coming down the pike, either near-term or far-term, that will be different if we met again to have this conversation about digital style changing the game, essentially, for retailers and fashion, reinventing the fashion business model? Matt G., Jeff G., I'll give you one minute, 60 seconds. Please give me your predictions. Go. I think we talked a lot about it. So I think, you know, in, you know most of the topics we talked about, I think, are going to come true and a lot faster than we think. So the consolidation in the industry, the redefining the compet- who the competitors are. So today's partners will be tomorrow's competitors as fashion companies go more direct. I think on the, on the more... Um, interesting front, I actually think, you know, if we look at not too distant future, apparel and accessories themselves will be much more digitally integrated, which will allow all sorts of new innovative products and services that retailers and fashion companies can offer us as consumers, both to help us design the products we want, how we use them, and how we we actually integrate. And I think we're going to move away quickly from worrying about how we get the products that our customers want to them. So that'll just become a plug-in utility, if you will, and really start to think more about the experiences we want our customers to have and how we can plug into those experiences in a way that's convenient for them, both physically and digitally, as opposed to having them come to experience our shop or our our Mm -hmm. site. So I think those things are coming. It's just how fast they're going to get here. But I look forward to being a part of it. It's an exciting industry and, uh, and a really exciting time. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. And Matt, Mar- we'll go back to your real name there, Jeff Goldberg. Matt Marcotte, I'm ready for you. 60 <laughs> seconds. Why don't you sure, predict? I, I love the things. year 2020, think, but yeah, go ahead. Sure. I'm sorry. 60 seconds. I'm on. Um, I think mm-hmm. three things uh, to talk about now. One is that technology will now kind of also dictate, I think, how things are made. So growing real leather, not fake leather, real leather in a lab is going to be something that will actually happen, which will allow people to actually make products even cheaper because you won't have all the flaws that are in the old types of leather. So that's one thing. Technology is going to be about product and fabrics, things like that. Mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, whatever you want to call it, is going to change the game again and make this even more complex because of the kind of the very nature of what that is. And then which this is going to sound like a complete 180 for what I just said in the last two things, but I also think there's going to be a huge return to the idea of community in this idea of a physical way in space. I think humans are tribal by nature, and there's a need to connect. So I don't think we'll ever go into our silos of being completely virtual without people. I do think there's going to be a backlash of the human nature piece and how that, what that community looks like and how we use all technology to help enable it will be interesting, but I think it's going to happen. 
Thank you very much. I like that. You you got me cold on real leather growing it in a lab. I, I We have to have another show about that. That's a big topic. Thank you. I can't imagine what, what they're going to grow it from, but I don't know. There's all kinds of uh, science and technology there. Matt Lakaitis, I can give you 60 seconds on the dot. Predictions go. Great. Thank you. So I think the, the one prediction I would make is that we're going to continue to see uh, a correction in the market to reward those who are successful and can accomplish all the things we've talked about and, and penalize those who are not, right? So you're going to see an acceleration of the gap that's widening between those who are viewed as successful and those who are viewed as failing in the marketplace. I mean, the reality is, you know, we'll also look back in 2020 and say, as an industry, I can't even believe we had to have these conversations about the topics we talked about, right? To Jeff's point, mm-hmm. they're going to be second nature, right? They're, the companies are going to have this ability to operate as a digital business. They have it now, and the winners are going to, going to extend that out. You know, if you take a look at your example, I bet there's, there's two things that can happen in that scenario. One is, you know, a digital business would understand that they were going to have that problem, make a prediction, know that there was that uh, external buying signal there for the camp, and already have those masks replenished and in stock. Yes. And someone who's not uh, uh, have that ability, they might even be celebrating the fact that they sold out the, sold out of the masks and they don't even know that they have a problem that you experienced. That's right. <laughs> very, very good. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I can't thank the three of you enough. This has been interesting. It's been informative. It's actually been delightful. We're supposed to have delightful experiences and that's what we like to convey to our listeners here on World Talk Radio, the business channel. We have listeners all over the world. Again, a shout out to Kelly Cockshaw at SAP. Kelly, you outdid yourself. Great panel. Jeff Goldberg, a.k.a. Matt G., get some sleep or no, no, no more caffeine for you. Just go to sleep. Matt Marcotte and Matt Lakaitis here in the U.S. And a shout out also to uh, Michael and Jason at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. And a shout out to Ginger Shimp at SAP as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my call to action. Wait for it. Wait for it. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like our three panelists are. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management